0: x-ray
1: and welcome to the beer of show broadcast in portland on x-ray fm and available anywhere on your favorite podcast service
0: hi jeff hey patrick how are you doing today
1: i'm doing well uh we are joining each other from our respective homes through the miracle of the inner tubes that transmit sound through pneumatic tubes to each other's <laughs> houses
0: apparently <laughs> i miss pneumatic tubes
1: Well, you know, apparently they're making making a comeback. In fact, I was just reading, there's some article somewhere about how like the old drive up uh, bank teller thing had almost died because of ATMs, Uh, but now of course it's making a big comeback and the pneumatic tube is like the miracle of all modern technology to prevent COVID infections. When I was a kid, (laughs) in
0: in Boise, Idaho, this is some nearly 50 years ago now, the Bon Marche, uh, which was, it's a, it used yep. to be a, a like the a Nordstrom's uh, thing. Oh yeah. Back for back in the day, I think it's from Seattle. Uh, they, they had pneumatic tubes and you'd go in there and your, your helper would communicate and get products through pneumatic tubes. And it was like Willy Wonka. I, I love to go there because there was like, <laughs> pneumatic tubes all o- all over the entire store.
1: Yeah, and in fact, uh, I, it, I don't know if it was pneumatic tubes, but um, the original Nike Town uh, in downtown Portland had some kind of system like that where you would they would like send the shoebox up through their yeah. little tubes. I don't know if they're pneumatic or if they were mechanical or what, but, uh, but whenever I think of pneumatic tubes, I think it's uh, the um, Terry Gilliam movie Brazil, isn't it? Have
0: uh, that makes pneumatic sense. Tubes everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah,
1: what that I always think sense. about. And how like he keeps getting st- stuff keeps popping out in the pneumatic tubes in his office, and he keeps he keeps cr- cramming them back in and sending them back, and he just can't win. It's like one of those um, Charlie Chaplin esque little moments.
0: You might even say a little Python X esque.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's, true. Yeah, that's true too. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> but you can tune into our other podcast today in pneumatic tube technology. <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on with our current podcast, which is the Beer of Show. So uh, I should introduce you. You're Jeff Alworth. Uh, you write a lot about beer, um, including a few books. The Beer Bible is one, The Widmer Way is another, Seekers of the Master Brewers is the third. I always add that in there, even though you never have it in the script. Because You're, it's, it's my I, you
0: know Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I, I just, you know, I, I I trust that you'll you'll handle that. You're a seasoned professional at this point. And you, seasoned professional, are mm-hmm. Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University. Last time I checked. Yeah, and we creep ever closer to the the new year, uh, new academic year, which will be interesting. But we've talked about that a lot, so I suppose we can skip that and tell you no more.
1: It is I'll just say one thing that we're now we're recording on uh, first week of August, and I just saw in the paper that some some students are returning to campus now. Uh, we have the luxury of waiting because we're on quarters. So we don't start till the end of September. So that gives us an extra month of sort of waiting and seeing. But so far, as far as I know, we're we're still going to do it. All so systems go. Bring, bring students back to campus. I was just in Sun River. Oh, right. Or Oregon. I'd never been there before. Central Oregon, the high desert. Uh-huh. Reminded, reminded me of being back in Denver where I, where I lived for six years. But it's appropriate for today's topic because it was hot, it was dry, uh, it was lovely. There was floating on the river. The Deschutes floats through uh, Sun River. We had a nice day floating on the river. Oh, cool. Uh, which uh, begs, of course, uh, these hot, dry days after a nice river float. You want a nice summer beer?
0: I mean, I want a nice summer beer on the river, but I don't know. uh
1: I don't, yeah. I don't know what
0: kind of game you were playing there. Maybe uh, <laughs> children and so so on there. So,
1: no, on. <laughs> so Yeah, this was a pretty active actual river adventure because there were um, six 14-year-old boys in one raft and four adults in another raft. Those two rafts were engaged in a pretty much nonstop battle. Uh, water fight the whole uh, the whole way down.
0: Of course, they were.
1: There was collateral damage. Other uh, it was pretty busy on the river, as you might expect in the middle of the summer. Um, that some people weren't all that excited about being being in the middle of a water fight. <laughs> but there, there's this one really cool family from Bend. Uh, a mom, a dad, and their three kids who came and were totally into it. They they were like sparring with us all the way down the river. So it was a lot of fun. Nice. Uh, uh, yeah, but fantastic. not there wasn't there wasn't a chance to sort of sit back relax and enjoy a beer until we got back. I gotcha. But anyway, that was my really clever transition to the the topic of today's pod.
0: Oh, well, do tell.
1: I know. Wasn't that nice? So uh, as you write, the long, warm days of summer are upon us. This is true, Uh, which means it's time. In fact, not only the long, warm, but the long, super hot days have finally descended in to Oregon.
0: Yeah, we had a we had our first hot snap last week where it got up to 100 a couple of days and it was in the mid-90s all week and I hated that. So, yeah, glad in that's Portland, pretty...
1: Portland that's apocalypse.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, it means it's time to do one of our regular examinations of seasonal tipples. Uh, so today we're going to talk all about summer beers with a special focus on an American classic, cream ale, which I'm really excited about because I don't know actually anything about cream ale. At all yeah it's a cool story i've had cream ales but don't know don't know from whence they come and, and what distinguishes them so i'm excited that you shall learn us do us some learning here uh, so we'll explore some underappreciated styles and talk about what we like in summer beer uh, on today's episode stay tuned for that it's gonna be exciting but of course before we do that we have to bring you the news <laughs>
0: We are starting to get some numbers from large breweries, and they're not especially good. In the US, AB InBev was down 6% for the second quarter. That is due to loss of draft sales, however. Mm, Yeah, Uh, yeah. off-premise sales were up across the board, including 3.3% growth of Bud Light, which has been shrinking for really for years. Uh, but overall draft sales were down enough that the company was down overall. And in addition, in the second quarter, Molson Coors was down nearly 8%. Wow. So yeah, we, it's the numbers that if people have been following, uh, the beer numbers that depending on how you couch the language, uh, it can look positive or negative. But, um, I think, uh, particularly because off premise sales that is in stores and so on, um, are so, uh, they're up by such huge numbers that we think that beer must be doing pretty good, especially big beer. But actually, taken in toto, not so good.
1: Yeah, it's funny because I, I, I know that the actual numbers kind of belie this. But just you know, my casual impression is that the, uh, but probably because I'm here in Portland, Oregon, where almost all draft is craft. <laughs> but I always think of uh, macro as uh, mostly packaged, you know, off-premise sales. But they actually sell, they actually do serve a lot on draft.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think who knew? Who knew the
1: rest of the world? They actually drink the stuff on draft.
0: <laughs> I think when you start thinking about places outside of Portland, and you think of things like uh, stadiums and yep. chain restaurants and yep. uh, that kind of thing, you you start to think, oh, that's right. I remember now.
1: Yeah. <sighs> Coronavirus. Yes. Uh, on the other hand. Hard seltzer continues its, in your words, thermonuclear explosion. Thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic, all growth in the beer market is happening in the off-premise channel, that is store sales. Remarkably, 45% of that growth is coming from hard seltzer, uh, Nielsen Research reported. And my casual observation in Sun River would confirm this entirely. Uh, Oh
0: no, even... even... Seltzer's
1: everywhere, like people out and about, uh, if they're like picnicking in, in the park or... Uh, uh, hanging out by the pool is what I noticed. Uh, people sort of doing, um, social distancing by the, uh, long story, but, uh, uh, my lovely wife and I, uh, took off for a couple extra days in Sisters, Oregon and went to this little inn that's, uh, kind of like a low rent resort it's got a pool in the middle, and what I noticed is that lots of families were getting these rooms that opened up onto this lawn, so you have this sort of sliding door, and they were kind of in adjacent rooms, but then able to to socialize outside, which I thought was pretty clever. They mm-hmm. obviously figured this out. Anyway, that's where I noticed lots and lots of seltzer, by the way.
0: And that's that's in Sun River, which is uh, hop, skip, and a jump from Bend, which is one of the beeriest places on the planet, so boy, oh boy.
1: Yeah, well, this is actually in Sisters, but also hop, skip, and a jump from Bend.
0: Right. Sorry, missed that. Yeah
1: uh yeah so so uh the seltzer the seltzer boom continues yeah yeah and this is you know this is like on the afternoon speaking of summer summer quenchers uh you know an afternoon when it's 100 degrees and seltzers i think are appealing for that too
0: yeah i and that's that's clearly a big deal especially uh in you know it's an off-premise package that's Uh, especially appropriate for that. You take your seltzers out and they're sort of quenching in a hot day. So I I get why it's happening. I still uh, say it's not
1: going to (laughs) last. I've been through this before. I've been through the Bartles and James. I've been through the Zima. (laughs) What else have I been through? I've been through the Chalada or whatever it is.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's Chalada yeah i don't know not gonna last no way
1: i'm an old cranky old man no way it's gonna last
0: (laughs) i throw it out to the people uh if you're listening how long do you think it will last uh will it ever recede is patrick crazy there's gonna be
1: something else there'll be something else that's new newest latest this one will fade something else will come
0: maybe all right you you've you've laid down your marker we will uh time will tell oh i do miss
1: the bottles and james days come on man whatever happened to the wine cooler (laughs)
0: You miss those days because you can
1: still make a wine cooler. I wonder if it's still possible to find you can still find a Zima now and again,
0: right? Uh Zima came back for a little while, but I, I I think it didn't take.
1: Yeah. By the way, you could kinda throw and I hate to do this, I know you're gonna kill me for this, but you can kinda throw cider in there a little bit too, huh? Uh, at least, at least the mass market ciders.
0: Yeah, the mass market ciders you can, and I think they're heavy and sweet enough that probably the seltzers are more refreshing on a on a summer day than certainly an Angry Orchard. Yep. Now you get a nice dry, proper cider, and that's a far, far better choice. Yes, yes, yes.
1: Uh, I, I qualified my <laughs> <laughs> my my statement appropriately. Yes. All right. Well, uh, since we're talking about all this stuff now, let's move on to the real summer. Thirst quenchers, and that's a good summer beer.
0: Yes, let's 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 talk about beer. Like those people should have been having a, a crux pills or something the, something like that. So yeah, clearly
1: there was an information problem that led them right. to, to buy there. I think they were drinking Trulies, the ones I saw. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so clearly they need to be educated, and we're here to do the job.
0: That's right. Any Don't things- go for
1: the seltzer. Go for the beer. There's lots of good options.
0: Anything seltzer can do, beer can do better.
1: That's right. Well said. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just came to me in a moment of weird clarity.
1: All right. So why don't we start our discussion because I'm so curious uh, with the American cream ale.
0: All right. Yeah. So let's... Tell us.
1: Tell us when, from whence this came.
0: Yeah. You know, we we what like, the hell it is. Yeah. We like to talk about uh, beer styles and. Kind of unpack them and what what they are, and it occurred to me what is a cool summer style that we can kind of put at the center of this discussion, and American Green Ale seems like a an absolutely excellent choice. It is uh, one of the few American beer styles or things that were that came from America. Uh, it's it's not an in- incredibly different style of beer than uh, the beer it was, it it was designed to replace, which is. Uh, in the pre-prohibition period they emerged as a rival to uh the loggers that had been taking over so you know in some ways it's uh it's not a radical departure um from what was happening before but uh it is an american original and uh, we can talk about that so let's do that so while we are recording here slightly before noon and uh, (laughs) observing my father's dictum that um you, you should never have alcohol before noon. Maybe we'll. Yeah. Wait four, okay. Four, so you, four you got minutes. four minutes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way, it is hot and it's sunny, so that qual. We've got everything else. All the other qualifiers are there, but it's not yet PM, so we'll wait yeah. till the PM.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Let's do that. That <laughs> will, will be will be regarded as moderate in our uh, consumption habits. Okay, so cream ales, uh, came about in the uh, uh, late. 19th century and this was the period of time so we had the great german migration right actually let's start let's go back even further so beer was not a big deal in the united states until the germans came here it was mostly english ales and they were a tiny tiny speck uh, uh on the the Consumption pattern of, of American drinkers. We were a, oh. a whiskey and rum country.
1: I was gonna say so distilled spirits.
0: Yeah, totally. Okay, hugely. So then, but then the Germans came and they brought their tasty lagers, and mm-hmm. Americans started to drink more and more beer throughout the course of the 20th century or 19th century. And toward the end, the Germans had uh, the German American brewers had also been influenced by that uh, that new sexy pale. Uh, lager they were making in bohemia Mm -hmm. and so they had started to make uh, their own pale lagers and these were just like they were everywhere incredibly popular Um, the problem was uh, lagers take a long time to brew this was in a period of time before uh, refrigeration Mm -hmm. so Uh, places would, if you, if you go back to 19th century America, you find a lot of references to the so-and-so brewing and ice company Uh, because these, like, like in Wisconsin, for example, which had a, a million breweries, they would be located where they could go get ice and they would throw them in warehouses or sometimes in caves, uh, where they would, uh, be all summer and they would actually sell that ice. Uh, but they would use the ice also to lager their beer. Right. Uh, but it was you know slow and expensive, and you had to <laughs> you had to have lakes that you could chop ice out of and put them in caves over uh, over the summer. So it was By kind of a pain in the ass.
1: To be yeah, pedantic, we call this uh, economies of scope in economics.
0: Ooh, do you please expand.
1: Oh, just the just the point that uh, selling ice and making lagers at the same time uh, is efficient because you can use the ice to lager your beer, and then you've got ice because you're lagering your beer, so you can sell it. So, I see. economies of scale is all about size, and scope is about these kinds of these kinds of uh, complementarities and inputs.
0: Nice. Yes, I think you've talked about that before, but you have to keep. <laughs> so it. there
1: you go. Your little your little uh, online education moment to, <laughs> right. to get a taste of what the undergrads are in for this year.
0: <clears throat> Every six months or so, you're going to have to remind me about that because I'll forget it in the <laughs> intervening period, and <laughs> it'll all be new yeah. and exciting yeah. to me. Oh my God!
1: Exactly. That's that's why I keep trying to convince my teenage voice when when i keep telling him the same story about 12 times like when you're my age it's all exciting over and over again yeah, it's
0: true Everything <laughs> because
1: <you don't> remember. <laughs>
0: so easy to live in the moment <sighs> so anywho uh to get back to cream ales the story picks up here where uh, uh brewers were thinking you know it would be cool to make beer that uh, was as popular as these loggers but was a lot cheaper and quicker to make yes and so they began to tinker with using ales uh ale yeast to make them quickly and uh put them out uh, as quickly as possible so uh cream ale emerged um and I'm going to read you a quote from uh kind of a famous book that was published around the turn of the 20th century then around 1900 uh by Wall and Genius who are these uh uh beer science expert guys who put out handbooks and um d- did a lot of research uh about brewing at the time and they were describing various the various beer styles that were available around the country and how they were made or i'm sorry around the world and how they were made and when we got to america they described uh the uh these ales that were popping up to replace lagers or t- try to make lagers more cheaply they're right mm-hmm. Cream, lively or present use ale takes the place of English mild ale. And more recently, the American ale brewers are equipping their plants with refrigerating machines to brew a beer, brilliant or sparkling ale, that combines the property of a lager beer and ale, i.e. sparkling, brilliant beer, with an ale taste and aroma. Mm. So that was how they described it. And they went on to uh, describe how the beer was made. Um they you had a grist of about 30% corn, and this was typical because American barley was very high in protein, and it made mm-hmm. it look pretty chunky if you didn't cut it. And the logger makers also were doing that, um, and they mashed it at a fairly typical uh, uh, German kind of step mash, and put these things up, you know, pretty fast. Uh, they don't have a description later on. We're going to talk about post-prohibition uh, cream ales. Uh, and how they were made, where they described the the length of time, but um, but I'm guessing they could get these things out in two or three weeks, which was a lot yeah. better than the two months it probably took to get a, a good uh, logger out in the summer um, if you were making a Pilsner. So it was a, it was that's a lot of money. And what's the economic talk about the economics there?
1: Uh, making it uh, cheaper and faster.
0: Yeah, the the speed thing is. Oh, I yeah, guess, absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> so,
1: well, the having to lager a beer is uh, is tough for two reasons because you got to keep it cold, uh, so that's expensive, and you got to sit on it for a long time, and so that's expensive both because you don't get the revenue quickly, and you also have to have storage. Um, so all that stuff makes it kind of a bummer <laughs> if you're a brewer, uh, and it's a lot uh, more cost effective if you can get uh, beer out quickly.
0: And or, not yeah,
1: and not have to chill it really cold and keep it cold for you know two weeks, a month, whatever.
0: Yeah, totally. So uh, there you and, go. And also, in this case, uh, chop ice out of the uh, lake if you were happy to
1: do that. <laughs> chop, chop out of the great lakes. Uh, by the way, uh, corn was a was a, already a popular adjunct. Yes, uh, did I get that right?
0: Yeah, it was already being used in lager beer making uh, because American barley was not so good.
1: Right, and so was rice also being used at the time, or did that come later?
0: Rice was being used, but basically by one company, the Anheuser Busch Company of St. Louis, Missouri. Yeah, they were the they were the one they were the one company that was really all in for rice. Other people were using corn. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it kind of makes sense because you know corn is the native uh, American grain; it's broadly available and
1: uh, yeah, and grown much more. Commonly, especially, I was going to say, in, in, in places like Missouri. So that's funny that.
0: Uh, yeah, that's right. There's a lot of this brewing was happening in the Midwest and corn, you know. We know we, we know about corn in the Midwest.
1: Yeah. And so I'm, it's, it's curious that uh, Anheuser Bush went for rice.
0: Indeed. Okay. So it's 1204. I'm going in for my beer.
1: <laughs> Good. <laughs>
0: We made it <laughs> it like, I yeah. need to. Let the record uh,
1: show that is officially 12.04 pm.
0: <laughs> that's right. Uh, I need to wet my whistle before we continue on with the uh, the cream ale tale. And in fact, um, I may I may uh, break off and have a little general chat here while I have this beer before I return to the c- thrilling conclusion of our cream ale story.
1: All right. So you haven't told me what you're having. So tell me what. Can Ooh. you hear the pour? Yes, Thanks. I can. But- comes comes through quite well. Thank you.
0: Without without Edwina, it's challenging to. Yeah, get we don't audio. get quite
1: the sparkle from Edwina. We don't get the little effervescent bubble pops. But.
0: Well, we have in the Northwest a tradition, a weird tradition actually, of making <laughs> fairly traditional colchus, uh, yeah. and I think I think this is one of our uh, best summer styles. I think uh, they 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 are light. This thing is four point eight percent. Very crisp, very clean, dry, but they have a little bit of the complexity of the fruity esters that uh, enliven the, the palate. So they're, they you get all the crispness and dryness you want, but you get a little bit more fuller body and fuller flavor. Mm-hmm. Sort yep. of related to Cream ales, as we'll learn in a while. And this one comes from 5440 Brewing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, my friend uh, Bolt Minister is the brewer there, he founded this, he bounced around at a lot of different breweries and everywhere he went, he made a Kolsch and many of them won awards, including uh, GABF awards. This one that I'm holding, which is Cascadia Kolsch is a silver winner into the GABF. This is his style. He is a, he is one of the, perhaps the only American brewer (laughs) whose uh, main style, the thing he champions the most is Kolsch. And when I saw this, I thought, by God, that will be perfect for both this weather and this podcast. So that's what I've just poured out.
1: Yeah, a good Kolsch is an ideal uh, summer beer to me. Uh, light in color, light on the palate, uh, with exactly as you said, those fruity esters.
0: Yeah. You know. And he, he. The, the thing is, I talked to uh, Bolt about this years ago. I don't know if this is still true, but he had never, but he'd already fallen in love with and, and won awards with Kolsch. He really makes them taste so much like they do in Cologne too. And he's never been there, uh, but he just nails it. He's got a right. little, he, get, he gets some minerality in the water, which I think is a kind of an important part. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the malt character is perfect. And then there's a little delicate hopping on top. Uh, such a good beer. Good go yeah, malt. it
1: is. It is funny that there are a number of good cultures that are produced locally. I'm not sure how popular they are in craft beer in the U- U.S. in general, but um, they should be. They're they're a relatively um, straightforward beer to, to produce. I mean, the, the subtleties are the key, of course. But uh, you know, it's an ale, so it's not. It doesn't take a lot of lagering, and uh, it's great for summer.
0: It it is um, as uh, the English writer Ron Pattinson always emphasizes: an obagaraga lager beer. <laughs> which is which is to say, <laughs> which is to say uh, it's a lagered ale. So after it's made, they do lager it. And I don't know how long Americans lager their beer. Probably not for a month. Um, I don't know that it's necessary to go deep lagering. But yeah. it does smooth it out and give it a little bit more lager-like character.
1: Uh, maybe that's the problem with my homebrew calls then.
0: <laughs> By the way, every time I say anything and uh, Yeah, it could be. Sorry, uh, but every time I say anything in German now in my, my comic like uh, Hollywood German, I, I realize that Alan Taylor is going to hear this and his kids are going to laugh at me. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, kids in the backseat.
0: Yeah, now, I'm, now I'm feeling embarrassed yeah, Don't distract
1: your dad, he's driving. <laughs>
0: uh, yes.
1: But the one thing, I mean, I took, you know, I'm practically fluent in German because I took two years of high school German when I was well, a freshman, freshman sophomore at Madison West High School, Madison, Wisconsin, <laughs> and I remember absolutely nothing, of course. The one thing that I thought was great about German is that it's generally in English, you can just basically read it phonetically, like the word as written is pretty much the way it is pronounced. So if you do your, your very best to, to read and, and pronounce it the way it seems, it's probably pretty close.
0: Yeah. So um, you're welcome. That may be the case, and yet I'm still guessing that I've butchered that. So uh, any anywho. <laughs> so are you gonna have are you gonna crack yours or are you waiting for the big reveal for later? I am
1: waiting for the big reveal. We're not gonna, we're not there yet. Just hang on. Besides, you know, I go I don't I don't drink before twelve <laughs> fifteen. Never. Like as a rule. <laughs>
0: Which is funny because you're a subject of the crown. You should probably be drinking <laughs> at like nine AM. Be,
1: oh yeah. Oh man. That's my favorite the 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 classic uh, traveling through Europe uh, experience is like showing up at, I don't know, like the Amsterdam airport, and it's like 7 a.m., and then there's like eight Englishmen with about 26 empty glasses in front of them. <laughs> it's
0: true. It's like, oh my God.
1: <laughs> the English are the worst.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole, but you right. can say it because they're your it. people. They're
1: all my people. <laughs> they're the worst. <laughs> Actually, when you get them outside of England, oh my God!
0: I, I personally find them to be lovely. So okay,
1: so where does the cream? I want to know where where the where the the term cream came from.
0: Yeah, so this is fascinating. It, with that quote, I read. There, was, there were a bunch of <laughs> different names that they used, brilliant, sparkling ale, present use ale, which is a super bizarre word, lively, mm-hmm. and then cream is this word. It is uh, pretty clear that the word cream was entirely marketing spin, and I think it really picked up uh, and became kind of the dominant name after prohibition, so that your question is appropriate for getting us uh, past prohibition. And into the the post, uh, into into the new market that emerged after that period.
1: Do you think cream was just an an, an attempt to sort of sell it as the as a color, or is it some something to do with like the mouthfeel of the corn? Or
0: there's I I found zero evidence. I think it just I think somebody just said you know calling it lively ale doesn't tell you anything. You call it cream ale, and everybody's going to want to drink that. Ooh, it's yeah. so you know it's so is so a good attractive. Term. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is a good term, and <laughs> yeah. I don't want to jump the gun, but when we get to Jenny Cream, which is the most famous of yes. all the cream ales, yes. well, uh, I think it's. I think it does. Naive. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, I think it expresses some of that uh, that creaminess, but but um, we're we're not quite there yet. And in fact, in 1937, okay, right. uh, Wall was writing again. Apparently, Heneas was dead, and I think he was writing maybe with his son, but it was a different Wall. Wall and Wall wrote uh, in 1937, so right after. Uh, Prohibition here. Uh, he wrote this about the cream that were being brewed at that time. That they were quite lively, clear, sparkling, and quite pale. But they had changed a little bit. Whereas before they were fairly weak beers, um, you know, around five uh, percent. Now they were five uh, percent by weight, which is six percent, six point three percent by volume. Uh, uh-huh. It was kind of typical. So they were they become stronger. I and well- then, Yeah, they were packing kind of a wallop then. Uh, He added, and this I found super fascinating because I don't think this continued, but for this brief moment, it was uh, how he described it. Usually, the finished ales are dry hopped, that is. Oh,
1: my goodness.
0: I know, right? Fresh hops of good quality are added to the storage tank. He's
1: writing this in 1937.
0: Yeah. Wow. I know. So somebody was making, uh, he was writing about the beers that were being made, um, and somebody was making it that way, and I think... Based on uh, my research at the time, he might have been pointing to McSorley's, so fam- the McSorley's Old Ale House in downtown Manhattan. Uh, I think what is that in like the East Village somewhere down there? Um, has always made their always had their own beer, and there was a brewery called Fidelio that was making their uh, beer at the time, mm-hmm. and it was a 6.3% cream ale. Uh, and so I'm thinking maybe that was one of the key beers that Wall was looking at when he wrote that. Um, this this was uh, in that post-Prohibition period. Also, it had become, and this is, I think, one of the, the cooler things about cream ale, it had become more or less a regional phenomenon. There was one brewery in Cincinnati called Shunling uh, which made Little Kings, which was kind of a famous cream ale. That was yeah. the only one outside the uh, the Northeast, I think, that had a high reputation. But there was Utica Club and Schaefer, and later there would be Narragansett and others. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, in the nineteen fifties, Genesee began uh, developing the cream ale that became famous. But it was really kind of a, a you know a New York Northwest, Northeast uh, thing, which is super cool. I mean, it, it's not really like I grew up in the west coast entirely i had no connection to the east coast and i hadn't i had never seen or heard of cream ale at all it just didn't exist out here
1: yeah schaefer huh schaefer is the one beer to have when you're out to have some fun schaefer is the one beer to have when you're having more, <laughs> more than, than one, one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sorry i threw that in there <laughs> that is
0: one of the finest ad campaigns of all time <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, okay uh yeah so jenny cream was later
0: Jenny Cream was um, developed – Jenny Genesee actually made a thing called Light Cream Ale, uh, which the, was not successful. This was in the 30s or 40s, uh-huh. not successful, and the company basically f- flushed all memory of it. There's still some uh, uh, advertisements that people have seen, so they know that it existed. But um, people at the company <laughs> uh, don't know anything about it and didn't know anything about it. Uh, 50 years ago. like It, <laughs> it was not very popular. Um, but they had a, brew, a beer called 12 Horse, which was sounds like it was an old English ale, you know, probably like a maybe like a strong bitter. Um, it was described as heavy and uh, it had a, a huge, it had very passionate fans uh, uh-huh. who loved the beer, but there were not very many of them. So they would discontinue it and then these fans would go crazy and they would bring it back and discontinue to bring it back. And finally in the 1950s, uh, they decided that they wanted to replace it with something that would fit that niche, but, but be a little bit more, you know, broadly popular. So Clarence uh, Gemin, who was the brewer at the time developed, he, he, I think he must've seen that light cream ale and and went back and thought what we should do is do a cream ale. And he, he, created a recipe which has been shrouded in secrecy since then, basically. Uh, I talked to the brewery uh, a few years ago for a piece I wrote. And um, even uh, Michael Jackson uh, in, in an early book, I, I always like to go back to my early like 1970s and 80s era Michael Jackson's to see what he was writing about breweries. Uh-huh. Even in even in that stuff, he said uh, that Tennessee was a notably secretive company <laughs> <laughs> and that they wouldn't tell him anything about how they made uh Jenny cream um but there's a writer uh a guy who has a column under the name Joe Sixpack uh for the Philadelphia Inquirer and has had forever uh and in 20 2009 he kind of found he he got uh Clarence the guy who developed this beer uh mm-hmm. to uh go on the record and he wrote um but but, but he Clarence Gammon again acknowledged that it's essentially a blend of that old 12 horse and the brewery's lager Genesee beer Uh so it's a it's a blend which is interesting because when you taste it and have you had this beer recently
1: no no not for like 20 years
0: (laughs) yeah I was shocked so when I wrote this piece uh for about Genesee, I don't know, three or four years ago, I I had to try to find it. I was really delighted to learn that it actually made it out to Oregon, and I did a I did a, a search on their website where they have where they tell you where it is, and I found a bodega out in far northeast Portland. I went to this bodega, <laughs> and they had like a quart size can, a, a giant one, and it's everybody will recognize the the iconic green can it comes in and i brought it home and i think i'd had it before but it hadn't again hadn't been years just same as you and i poured it out and i was really shocked at how much character it had it smelled like an english ale it just this the yeast wafting off of it was really uh quite characterful and uh and it has this lush uh creaminess to it it's a you know i mean it's definitely a mass market kind of not a lager but in that category but i think it would not shock people who like Budweiser, and yet if you taste it with your beer geek hat on, it's shocking how much character it has. It's really, really an amazing beer.
1: Uh, I'll have to go try to seek it out. It's not going to be easy as well, you just <laughs> identify.
0: There's a bod- there's a bodega in Northeast Portland. I'll point you to.
1: All right, you'll have to. Yeah, you have to hook me up. Uh, yeah, no, I re- literally haven't had this in decades, so um, it would be very interesting to taste now.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's a cool. I think it's a really cool beer, and uh, I love the idea of blending lager and ale. Um, I think that may actually be. I think some people might think that that's a compromise or cutting, or you know, cutting a beer with a cheap lager or something like that. But I think it actually allows you to get a real full. I think what what in the the case of Jenny Cream, I think what they're getting is this really full ale character, like all the the character of an ale, but then. Mm-hmm. Um, by softening it and making it a little drier and crisper with the lager uh another you know you we're going to talk maybe about rattlers here in a minute um uh, which do the same thing you know you you get the benefit of uh of one kind of beer with with a different substance we don't really see that much uh blending of different beer styles but there's really no reason we we shouldn't and and there's uh you know that pro that in england that was really common uh you know up until a hundred years ago that was super common so uh, yeah that's a really good
1: point nothing, that, nothing wrong right. with blending. <laughs> yeah you know it's a good point. i have nothing yeah i have nothing against blending at all and um and you're right i now that but hadn't really occurred to me but now that you say it i'm surprised you haven't seen more sort of lager ale blends
0: by if the not, way yes? i just i just finished that yeah <laughs> 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 that's how that's how a summer beer should go down right that, yeah. that, boom it's you already just, starting to heat up yep you just want you just want that beer to just mm, like you barely put the glass down and you think that was so tasty and so quenching you you know it's back up at your mouth you don't even notice it oh hello i'm drinking this again that yeah that's what this beer does all right that's well now
1: may, maybe now we can move on to um speaking of blends uh rattlers and shandies and what other, other what other names do they go by in different parts of the world I don't know. Yeah, I um, think
0: that's good. <laughs> Probably stop there.
1: So uh so as as you know and listeners might know, I'm quite fond of uh of uh, shandies or rattlers, um, where I mix uh generally lemonade with um often a light beer. It's very common now in uh, in Germany. I know radlers. When in, I think you told me this, radler just means bicyclist. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So you mix. Uh, what do you mix with the, with your beer?
1: Well, I was about to say the different things they mix. Like, so if you order a lemonade in uh, in England, you typically get a sparkling, you know, uh, uh, industrial beverage, a lemon soda, essentially. Uh-huh. Yeah. And okay. So, I got and you. So that, and so that's typically what you'd get if you ask for a shandy uh nowadays i think at least that's been my experience in england is you'll get some kind uh you'll get an ale with some uh uh, sparkling lemon soda uh i mix it with real lemonade
0: yeah in germany it's the same thing you get a soda so a lemon lime soda so like you know a sprite kind of thing mixed with uh hellas or some sometimes i think um they used to at least uh mix them with dunkel lager and the word Mm. bites the thing about bicyclist i don't know if this this Sounds like a, one of those apocryphal beer stories, <laughs> Rom- romantic fact. Uh, but the story is that there was a bicycle event happening in Bavaria, and um, a, the brewer realized that it was too late. He realized too late that it was going to be going right by his brewery and that many uh, – his house brewery, his, his brew pub. And right. that many of these bicyclists would be stopping off to have, have a, a quenching beer. Uh, and so in order to make the stocks of beer he had he go further, yeah. yeah, he, uh, he cut them with, uh, the soda that he had and, uh, he called them rattlers and off we are, uh, to the races seems like one of those fake stories to me, but, um, that's the story. That's okay. <laughs> I know, right? It's good there. enough for podcasts. Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Legends. Uh, yeah, and and uh, when I was uh, hanging out in, in Munich beer gardens, Rattlers seemed to be very popular. I saw quite a few people uh, order them. This was you know beautiful, warm summer day. Um, and as I was standing in line, probably half the people in front of me were getting Rattlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I do it with regular lemonade. And uh, typically what I would use is some kind of um, – A light lager, uh, often a pilsner, Uh, goes very well. But lately, I've been experimenting with these super citrusy, uh, super modern uh, IPAs. Um, And it's interesting because it depends on the particular flavor profile of the hops, whether it kind of really harmonizes or clashes. So I have fun kind of of experimenting. Uh, My personal favorite locally these days is the... um, Uh, the phaser hazy IPA from uh, ecliptic Uh Uh, I think I think pairs absolutely magically with with uh, uh, lemonade and the reason I often do it is exactly sort of the same kind of idea which is I like um, often do it after I've gone for a run Um, I like to exercise sort of later in the day and so usually like Uh, After a run or some kind of exercise, it's a good, it's both kind of a good uh, rehydration drink, but also a nice, a nice tipple. Uh, So today I'm going to try something different live on air and experiment. Nice. Because my son went out to get some more lemonade. Lemonade is a big, big popular drink. That's one reason it's always in our fridge because my kids love lemonade. And so, uh, but he, but they were sold out of lemonade. So he brought home limeade. And so I'm going to try and experiment whether you can make a rattler out of limeade. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I love the theatricality. Excellent
1: work. Yes. Uh, live on air, we shall try it. But I, <laughs> but I can't decide. I've got a I've got a, a Rubens Hazelicious, which I actually have tried with lemonade, and it's not one of those that I think goes great. So I might not do that, but I also have a Freem Pilsner, so I think I'm going to try just the Pilsner.
0: Uh, I think you should try the Rubens.
1: Really? With the lime?
0: Yeah, mostly because I think it'll be more entertaining. <laughs>
1: That's true. It kind of doesn't matter. Like the Pilsner is not strong enough that it's really going to make a difference. Uh, it'll just be the lime's going to over it. I, I'm not a huge fan of lime in general. It's a little too strong, I think, but uh-huh. here we go. All right. All right. But you called it. So we're going to do the Hazelicious. Nice. All right, here we go. So live on air, the experiment
0: in rappers. Well, well done audio points for theatricality on that score. And what's your uh, – what, what ratio have you discovered you like the best? Beer I actually
1: I, – well, especially with IPAs, it's about a one-to-one okay. ratio. Uh, with Pilsner, sometimes a little less. Um, more, uh, more beer. Yeah, more beer, a little less uh, lemonade. So here I'm going to – in goes the – this one doesn't have any audio. Sorry. <laughs> but in goes the Limeade. All right. So a Limeade radler. Let's try it.
0: All right. Dun, dun, dun. Ooh, mm.
1: it's a little, I'm going to, to put in a little more beer though. Limeade's very strong, it overwhelms. Okay. So I'm probably now about two thirds beer and about a third limeade.
0: It seems like it, your, your first reaction was not super negative. So maybe no,
1: actually I think, mm, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's fantastic.
0: <laughs> there you go.
1: And it's funny because delicious, as I said, I'm not, not my favorite mix with lemonade, uh, because it really just depends on the, the particular citrus notes you're getting out of the hops.
0: I'm sensing a new feature. Patrick tries a Rattler concoction. <laughs> <laughs> and we can, we can even get some, uh, uh, some audio in here, like wah, 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 if it doesn't work, or ta-da, if it does work.
1: I still think it's strong, uh, by the way. I'm adding even more beer. Mm. All right, that's better. Now it's about a quarter lime. This the lime is that's one of the reasons I I prefer lemon to lime because lime is such a, a strong flavor. It's really very very powerful, but that actually goes quite well with hazelicious. Yes, so now I, I here's my new recommendation: Rubens hazelicious with a little bit of lime.
0: There you go. Well, that's mm. pretty cool. Uh, I think that's cool. that is lovely. Yeah. I, yeah, that's that's very cool. I think people should have fun. This is a you know. Beer geeks can. This is summer affords beer geeks an opportunity to let their hair down and try stuff that is a little silly without any shame. So yeah,
1: don't be yeah, don't be stuck up. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with doing anything with beer in my in my opinion.
0: I agree, and I think especially in the summer, uh, it's it's almost socially appropriate to to do that. It was a year ago I think that we did our uh, Mexican lager taste off, which is another uh, style of beer that I think uh beer geeks really should embrace they're delightful and um you know don't hold don't be so snotty you won't try fun beers or you know f- concoctions I, I i tell you what i'd so much rather you be drinking a uh rubens rattler than a uh than a truly, a truly. <laughs> yeah exactly by the a, way a Bud so Bud you light can... seltzer which irritates me the name uh, anyway if-
1: yeah, if you want to do it, if you want to do it sort of the European way, you can get a lemon-lime soda like a Seven Up or a Sprite or something like that, uh, and and try rattlers that way. Um, I think it would also be fun. I've never tried it, but try things like ginger ale might be interesting in particular beers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that's it's right. It's kind of like a sort of low-rent beer cocktails, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And you could probably even, if you wanted to make them cocktaily, you could probably even start. Start there and maybe get out your your uh, uh, locally produced vodka or something. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah, if you probably that one's probably you should wait till after one p.m.
0: That's right. That's right. That's (laughs) not that's not uh, a morning or midday tipple
1: unless Uh, unless
0: it's a Saturday and then all bets are
1: off. Yeah, I but I'm willing to bet that lots of people have never tried to cut their uh, their beer or try any kind of rattler or shandy uh, combination, you should try it because um, it's a delightful summer drink. I think it's it's really fantastic. And, and if you're like me and, and you like to have something after you work out and you're hot sweaty, it's fantastic.
0: This just reminds me of a Fred Eckhart summer concoction, which wow. I'm going to throw out to the crowd. Uh, <laughs> the beer float. He was a big oh, champion yeah. of this, and he tended to use dark beers uh, yep. Yep. Uh, with with either vanilla or chocolate ice cream, which worked nicely as long as the the beer doesn't have too much uh, too many hops uh, too much hop bitterness because that that clashes with uh, the nice chocolatey flavors and, yes. and creamy flavors you get. But I'm wondering, based on what you just used uh, for your Rattler, and I've never done this because I haven't thought of this since Hazy's become have become a deal. But I wonder if I uh, throwing some ice cream in a Hazy wouldn't be quite a delightful little adult beverage. So I throw could that be. out there as yeah. I'm just spitballing. It just occurred could to be. me. it's not exactly a recommendation because I've never done it. But I think maybe it's not a terrible. I think idea.
1: that's a podcast experiments in 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 beer. Yeah, uh, we, we could do that. But what I, what I would say um, is that the 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 IPAs that I like better for a Rattler or a Shandy are ones that have a nice uh, bitter spine because that is a really nice counterbalance to the sweetness of the lemonade. Mm
0: -hmm. Interesting, yeah, and I think you probably would not want to do that if you're going to put ice cream in it, so. uh,
1: Right, and so they're probably different types of, you probably probably want a really uh, uh, low bitterness, hazy to put your ice cream in. And I actually look for the ones, the hazies I find are better are the ones that have a really nice bitter back. Um, and that I find is a delightful balance. One of the things I really enjoy about, about my hazy shandy. Yes.
0: Indeed. <clears throat> so, uh, other, other beers that I noted down that I think are make great summer beers and I recommend, uh, Keller beer, uh, which is just a rustic Pilsner. Uh, and these are kind of the underappreciated ones. Obviously you're going to know about your Pilsners and your,
1: well, as Kevin Davy said from Wayfinder, the, Brewmaster, brew,
0: yes, brewmaster
1: brew. <laughs> brew master works. Master oh, wait, brewer, writer. he's like, yeah, oh, Keller beer can be anything. It's just something you see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, uh,
1: but yes, I, uh, I think Keller, uh, Keller beer is one of my favorite styles. I, uh, I didn't know what to answer when he asked because I just get the Keller beer. I think for the most part, they are Pilsner Helles style beers that are uh, that are unfiltered and and delightful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they're really good, and um, I, I've had the experience of drinking them outside in a on a summer day in, in Germany or a warm day, not quite summer. I've never been there in the full summer, but uh, they are really delightful, and they're, yeah. they they serve that purpose of that I was describing earlier, where you can drink them really fast. Uh, they're they're often um, made with low uh, carbonation, sort of like a and uh, German cask ale. So they're really easy to drink, which is both fun and dangerous. So they're fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I,
1: no, I think that's actually, that's one of the reasons I like it so much. It's not, a, you know, it's not as bright, it's cloudy, uh, but it's also not as effervescent. And so, yeah, it makes it for a very, uh, a really quenchable, a really quaffable and thirst quenching beverage.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I've also noted down uh, grisette or a uh, uh, low alcohol saison, uh, 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 mm-hmm. you know, the yep. Belgian style, yep. and then the English uh, make these summery beers that are very pale blonde ales they're a little bit like uh cask uh bitters but they're 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 lighter they're blonde they're blonde and yep. uh those are also really exceptional they're quite hard to find in the united states but um I, yeah I really enjoy easy them.
1: to find in a good pub in, in in england yeah in the summer particularly yeah yeah these these light ales are lovely and often now they're 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 um sprucing them up with some modern hops so they have a really nice often dry hopped i think Right. They have a really nice floral or, or, or uh, fruity uh, finish.
0: There are places in uh, the UK, and I uh, I know the Cotswolds is one of them, but where uh, people do bike rides and they, they bike ride from pub to pub. <laughs> <laughs> and I think these are the kind of beers that you'd want to have, uh, you know, both so you don't crash into a tree and also uh, because they'll be somewhat quenching and, and refreshing as opposed to, uh, you know, dehydrating and, and killing you so (laughs) anyway i've always wanted both uh belgium and and england have these traditions of summer bike riding but and and brewery visiting and that's something i've never done but something i've always wanted to do so yeah uh,
1: you can also do that you can also uh do that by walking too in in uh in the same part of britain so
0: for those who Arnest, risk. <laughs> not not the big risk. risk they a little, wobbly. <laughs> a little <laughs>
1: wobbly on their bike, yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, well, should we move to the uh, – we have. We actually have some mailbag material here. Let's do And actually, so we had more than the two that I'm going to have here, but I realized as I was reading through them, we got a question from one listener that was actually in some ways answered by another listener. And I sounds thought right. it would be fantastic. So <laughs> <all>. That's, right. <laughs> That's ex- this is exactly right. That's never happened before. And I thought, ooh, this is so beautiful. Maybe we should just read these in order and then um, make a few comments afterwards and we'll be done. How does that sound? That sounds good. All right. I'm going to read the first one and I'll let you read the second one. How does that sounds sound? good. Yep. Okay. So the first one is from Dan and you you have uh, Kutzucreo. How you say that? C U Z Z O C R E O. Dan, you, you, have a, you. <laughs> <laughs> you have a uh, one of those names that I bet you've spent your whole life correcting people about how to pronounce. And so we apologize. Um, but here's what Dan Dan asks. Uh, I really like the hops episode. Uh, episode we had two episodes back where we talked about all things hops and it got me thinking about how, even though I have been an IPA lover for over a decade, I have never really gotten a great handle on exactly which hops correspond to which flavor notes mm. or even which ones I like or dislike. I have my favorite beers, of course, but not all clearly list the hops they use, and those that do will often be a blend. Do you have any suggestions for how to develop a good mm. understanding of what flavors uh, the different uh, of different hops are beyond just reading flavor descriptors? Are there particular single hop beers that I should look two as prime examples for some of the most commonly used hops that I could put uh, in a lineup and compare and contrast. So that's a great question.
1: That's a fantastic question.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, And we, I think, can touch on it. And the the following question does not answer it entirely, but but is so consonant with that that I thought we should read it first. So I'll let (laughs) you take over. This is from Thomas Horton. He writes, I enjoyed the last couple of podcasts, and I heard your call for mailbag entry, so I thought I would chime in. Regarding new-age hops, the brewery I work for does a mixed four-pack of single-hop beers every year. Mm. Brew the beers all with the same grist and swap out the hop varieties for each beer. It really is amazing uh, what a difference some of these hops, uh, these new hops make in the flavor of the beer. This past year, we used Sabro, Lotus, Motueka, and Columbus. Of the four, I enjoyed the Motueca the most. It had a nice balance between tropical and more traditional flavors. I find myself agreeing with the sentiment that some of these hops need an anchor flavor. Thank Mm -hmm. you, uh, Thomas, quoting blog post I had recently. The Sabro and Lotus beers were intensely tropical and in-your-face and fruity flavor and aroma almost too much for my palate. Sabro tastes like pina colada. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, um, that's really, I think you know uh dan Dan asked the question, are there single hop beers and, and and I think looking for breweries that do that we here in in Portland have referred to Vega and actually I think you've referred to them even today uh, yeah that ecliptic does where they experiment with new hop varieties. Um, finding single hop varieties and and uh, tasting those is really valuable uh, it, it It is difficult, so you kind of need to look for breweries that are calling them out.
1: Yeah, so obviously that's the first best, and one of the things that we've done in the past as home brewers is uh, do exactly that experiment with single hop beers, so we can get a sense of the hop. That's obviously the first best if you can get single hop beers. Um, there's also beers that kind of uh, might have a blend but highlight one, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's it's impossible if they're not going to tell you what's in there. Then yeah, it's really hard to to learn. Um, but a lot of, and I think it's more and more and more common that. Uh, brewers will put the the hops they use on the can they won't always necessarily tell you which one's highlighted so i think that um uh sort of the the second best way is just to start paying a lot more attention to it and when you when you have a beer uh read the the hop uh content and start just sort of uh filing that away in your memory and then you can start sort of you might have Three different beers, they're all different blends, but they all feature Cascade, for example, and you can start noting that common note that you get. Yes. And also reading the descriptors. So, you know, if you're in a Cascade, it's sort of floral piney kind of, you know, has a very distinctive flavor once you get to know it. Um, and so by having that descriptor in your mind and then tasting a few different beers that use it, you can start to kind of identify, I think. Uh, but it takes time. Um, so I think the the main thing to do is just try to be try to be cognizant, try to be aware, uh, um try to be thoughtful about it. and then I think what you'll find is that even if you don't have single hop beers, over time you can start just get a sense of what each hop is doing. Um, and there are, you know, we talked about this in that hop episode. there are now, you know, probably five, six hops that are really, really, really popular um, that you'll see again and again and again and again. And so it's not, that um, it won't take necessarily that long to get to get uh, a sense of what those hops are doing.
0: Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add there. I think that was uh, incredibly well well said, uh, Patrick. Uh, Why, thank you. Yeah. Uh, the the one thing I would I would say is you know begin to to look f- for specific unique flavors uh, mm-hmm. and then look and see which hops are there. Even if you don't know which hops it came from, if you look for that flavor note. In other beers, and you start seeing the same name uh, of a hop, then you can start to dial it in. It's like okay, uh, you know, for, for like for for example, when I, when I taste uh, a a really uh, caraway like savory note, I know it's mosaic. Um, I've <laughs> really gotten that dialed in, and I've begun to see because because of uh, uh, the Vega project that the Belma hops have this really pronounced strawberry note and um i've seen it now in a couple of other beers and so that's really clear uh yeah and the other thing is yeah i think patrick's right if you can figure out what a particular hop tastes like like for example cascade is is quite common um, and it's still such a good hop that you'll find it single hopped even when it's not named for so for example uh sierra nevada pale is a cascade hop beer Um, once you get that that one down then when you taste all those flavors of all those hops you can see where the cascade is and eliminate it you know that <laughs> you know that that's not what you're tasting with these other things so it's yeah. just a, it's a process of kind of creating a map and uh, becoming more and more familiar with the different flavors that come from these different hops so yeah that's just pay, paying attention and kind of uh, reading reading labels
1: yeah and three things occur to me uh, really quickly I'll go to them one is just remember that not all hops uh, uh, hit people exactly the same. That different palettes can sometimes get different uh, things out of hops. Yeah, that's true. So remember that it's not always a universal thing. The other thing is, I, um, it's good to you know if you're if you're gonna spend an evening in a in a pub and they offer like three different IPAs um, with different hops, then you know spend some time with each of those and you can kind of uh, start the process. I would but I would caution away from getting like a flight of six beers um, and having a couple sips of each. Uh, that's really hard. I don't think you really get a full sense of the flavor of the the flavor profile of the hops that quickly. Um, and then the last thing is uh, sort of a note to you, Jeff, uh, that this is actually an interesting. That would be an interesting project to sort of come up with a set of well known, uh, widely available beers that feature a particular hop. So if you want to know about Cascades, like you said, Sierra Nevada Pale is a great beer to have.
0: Um, yeah, the big challenge with that is most of these new new wave hops. Uh, as Thomas yeah. mentioned, do not taste good on their own. And so it's very difficult to find a lot of them in a single hop beer. Whereas the classic old hops, the Centennials, the Cascades, you m- more often would have found uh, single hop examples of those. So it is challenging, but you're right. I should do that. It should, it, I, I should.
1: Yeah. I mean, even if they're not single hop beers, often a beer will sort of feature a particular, like really heavy with the Citra or really heavy with the Mosaic. or
0: That's right. And sometimes if yeah. it's just a, if it's just a couple and one's very common, then, that serves the purpose, because yeah. you can figure out what that f- common one is and then see the character of the other one. So I like your thinking. I'll, I'll, I'll get on that.
1: Yeah. It's big fun, by the way. Once you sort of start getting used to it, then you can have these games about whether you can identify what hops are in there and think if you get it right. Sometimes it's fun to have a beer before you read the hop list and then <laughs> then try it. So
0: Yeah, that's true. All right. I think our work here is done.
1: All right. So a few words going out. Please subscribe on Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate us. Five stars, please. That helps other listeners find the show. We'd love to hear from you, so please send your questions or comments to Jeff at Or on Twitter, you can find us at birvana Pod. Jeff blogs at BeervanaBlog and he tweets at Beervana.
0: And Patrick tweets at Beeronomics.
1: All right. Well, uh, I'm gonna pick up my my experimental shandy here, or experimental rattler. Pick your pick your term.
0: Yep, and I've got my Cascadia Colch from fifty four forty, brewing in Washougal, Washington, just across the river.
1: <laughs> yeah, my my uh, my shandy is the Rubens Hazelicious from Seattle. Uh, look and, at us, uh,
0: all Washington today.
1: <laughs> all Washington today, uh, and a little uh, turns out Newman's Own uh, Virgin Limeade. So here you go. All right. All right. Cheers, Jeff. Cheers, Patrick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> almost a all Almost. Right. All right, see you next week.